from verse 1. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Amen. Life on earth is like a roller coaster. It moves, but no much progress is known. A lot happens in life that brings our lives or our dreams crashing down. It happens to us in different ways and at different times. The loss of one's own child, the loss of a parent, the loss of a spouse may well be the most painful blow a child, a spouse, or a parent can endure. But you can be certain that every other tragedy life dispenses on us offers its own unique form of suffering or trouble. And the challenge is that none of us is ever prepared for such pain or trouble. And that's the essence of pain or these troubles. You are never prepared, no matter how much you think about them, no matter the possibility that this may happen, none of us is actually prepared for such. And when such things happen, possibly for the first time in our lives, we begin to wonder whether there's any purpose in going on. As a church, we just lost two members in a space of seven days, and they're all buried in this last one week. One was a member for the last 25 years, and the other for the last 30 years. We buried Mrs. Chivuta on Monday, 
And yesterday we put to rest the remains of Miss Wupe Kaonga, as we fondly called her, Auntie Wupe. And as we begin to process this, the immediate family, but also the family at large at KBC, we begin to wonder how we can even go into the house of worship and worship our great God. And Psalm 138 is a psalm that helps us that even in the midst of troubles, in troubled times, we still accord to worship God. Psalm 138, we, we find the song of a man after God's own heart. It's referred to as a psalm of David. And he understood many deep truths about his relationship with his God and he came to see and to realize that these truths about his relationship with his God was his basis to come and worship God even in the midst of troubled times. David came to see that in times of trouble, the most clearly marked path to God He's not the way of struggle and despair. It is instead the path of worship. And Psalm 138 speaks to us about worship in times of trouble. And I'd like to draw your attention to the first three verses this morning and then the Lord willing in the afternoon will conclude this psalm. And the first thing I'd like to show you or to bring to your attention is that in times of trouble or present trouble we are called to worship God with thankfulness or we are called to worship God with full of thanks. And this is what we see in verse 1. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. Verse 2. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. David shows us that we need to worship God with thankfulness, even in times of trouble. And he opens this psalm by saying, I give thanks, O Lord. And the opening section explains the theme of the psalm. This particular psalm, Psalm 138. He says, I give you thanks. Why? Because on the day I called upon you, you answered me. And when you look at this psalm, take note of the, the personal pronouns that David uses that refers or shows us that his focus is God. And he's showing that the object of his worship, even in such troubled times, is God. The words you and your runs throughout this psalm 
I give you thanks. I give thanks to your name, your steadfast love, for you have exalted. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks. For they have heard the words of your mouth. And David is caught up in the majesty and the presence of God. And as he writes, he's saying, I give thanks to you. And he's basically saying that though everything around me may seem to be caving in, one thing that is certain, it is you, God. And I come before you in these troubled times and I give you thanks. The word used for thanks in the ESV is the same word praise in other vision. And David is basically saying, I praise you, God, with thankfulness. And he's showing to us is that praise and thanksgiving are so closely related. And for David, even present trouble is a time of worship. And he's, he's making this declaration of thanksgiving to God, and he shows us as God's children that we're called to, to worship God with fullness of heart, with thankfulness even when we are in trouble. When trouble comes, we easily fail to, to launch or to take off in, in worship of God because we are so occupied with the trouble that concerns us. And we begin to focus so much on the issue before us that it begins to overshadow our own relationship with God and the truth that God says about himself in the, in, in the scriptures. When trouble comes, it seems to smash our hearts into thousands of pieces, as it were, and we have no clue what to do. And difficulties burden us that we struggle even to find a reason to raise our voice and worship God. And yet David is reminding us that we need to give thanks to God all the time. We need to worship God with thankfulness. And he's basically calling us that in the present troubles, remember that you have reason to be thankful to God. Remember that you are his child. He saved you from your sins. And he's saying, do not preoccupy yourself with the loss at hand. Rather, fill your mind with your God who is behind everything that is happening in your life. Thankfulness. To God is a doorway 
that admits us, admits us into the court of godliness. And Christians are called to render thankfulness to God continually under every circumstance we find ourselves in. If we focus so much on the misery that we are going through or on the loss that we are going through, we trap ourselves in our own private prisons and we fail to glory in the riches of our salvation, in the riches of our relationship with God, in the riches of what Christ has done for us. And this psalm challenges us to come into the presence of God with thankfulness. It challenges us to worship God with a grateful heart, even in the midst of present trouble, whatever it is that is troubling you. This psalm calls us to worship God with thankfulness. But secondly, we see that we are called to worship God with a unified heart, with one heart, an undivided heart. In times of present trouble, we are called to worship God with a whole heart. And this is what the, psalm, the psalmist tells us in the last part of verse 1. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Saying, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. David began this song, this psalm, with a bold declaration that he will not hold anything back when it comes to his worship with God. And he's saying he's going to do, to do this with a unified heart. A heart that is not divided. And he says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. And he's basically saying, whatever it is that is troubling me, when it comes to the worship of my God, I will not, I'm not going to be passive. My mind, my heart, and my soul will be engaged in the worship of God. And he wants all of us to know that his number one pursuit is God. He wants us to see that God is his number one focus. He's interested in, in God. He wants everything about him to be occupied and full of God. He wants us to know that even in the midst of present trouble. His number one passion is God. 
He wants to look for God. He wants to find God. He wants to strive after God. He wants to chase after God. He wants to have God as the object of his life, as the object of his worship, and as the object of everything about him. He wants God to be his single focus so that even when he comes, he's not running away from his troubles. He knows his troubles are theirs, but he's saying, when I come to worship God. I want it to be done with a single focus. God. God. And he's saying he's going to do everything to seek after God. This is what Spedron says, and I quote, we need a broken heart to mourn our own sins, but a whole heart to praise the Lord's perfections. If ever our heart is whole and occupied with one thing, it should be when we are praising the Lord. End of quote. So yes, we need a broken heart to mourn our sins, but we need a whole heart to praise God. Morgan says this, with the whole heart leaves no room for mixed motives of divided devotion. With the whole heart leaves no room for mixed motives of divided devotion. And the psalmist is saying, this is what I want to do, to worship God with a single heart an undivided heart. The question we need to ask ourselves, so why should we worship God with one heart? Because God gave himself for us. God Almighty had taken it all for you. God the Son became one of us and then he gave his life out of love for you. And this is no mild commitment on the part of God. He gave himself wholeheartedly for you. In eternity past, he planned our salvation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit entered into a covenant that their number one goal, their single passion, is to bring about salvation to the human race. Christ died for your sin and my sin. And in his death, he allows us to enter his very presence, the presence of God. And the psalmist, he's saying, when he thinks of that, he's preoccupied with God's thoughts over him. And he's saying, Lord, I'm in trouble. There's trouble all around me. But when I come into your presence to worship you, I have this one heart, this one passion, your worship, O oh Lord, because you gave yourself 
for my sin. And he's calling us that when you approach God, you must do so with one heart, a unified heart, not a heart that is divided. And so when you look at your life the last one week, with all the troubles, funerals, sicknesses, are you approaching God's presence with one heart? Or your heart is divided? You are pre- one, one half is preoccupied with your troubles. The other half is preoccupied with the worship of God. Or one heart is preoccupied with the loss that you've suffered. And the other half is given to God. How do you approach God in times of trouble when it comes to worship him? And here the psalmist is reminding us that we need to do so with a heart that is not divided. A heart that has one single passion, God, and the worship of this God. And so we see that in times of trouble, we are called to worship God with thankfulness, but also called to worship God with a unified heart. And in the third place, we sing that in times of trouble, we are called to worship God intelligently. Intelligently. Let's read verse 2 and verse 3. I bow down towards your holy temple and give you thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. When I say that we are called to worship God intelligently, I'm not in any way saying that the psalmist is calling us to worship God with mere logic. Rather, the psalmist is calling us to worship God via historical facts. And these historical facts are to be the lens through which we are to to see all other aspects of our lives. And the psalmist is saying, I give you thanks to your name for what? For your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I give you thanks. Why? Because on the day I called, you answered me. I give you thanks because my strength of my soul, you increased. And the psalmist is looking at his life. He analyzes his life and is able to look at historical facts where God had been there for him. God had come through for him. And now when he looks at his present troubles, he's able to say, Lord, I come to you and I look at my life. And I can pray and worship you via historical facts. 
And he says, give you thanks for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I give you thanks, Lord, because these have been true in my life. I give you thanks, O oh Lord, because I know the day I called, you answered me. And Lord, if you've been there for me in the past, if you've answered me in the past, what is it that is making me think that you cannot answer me now? And it's not just mere logic to him. It's via historical facts. And as he engages his mind, he's able to worship God intelligently with facts that God has been faithful to him. And he has these facts that fuel his worship of God even in the present. He says, I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. The word steadfast love is from the Hebrew word hased or hased, which is actually the word for mercy. And so in other version you read, it says, I give you thanks for your mercy. And then the word faithfulness can also mean truth. And so if you've got the, the King James or the New King James, another version, you'll see it reads, I give you thanks for your mercy and your truth. The ESV uses the word steadfast love and your faithfulness. And the psalmist is basically saying these two Pairs of truth runs throughout the scriptures and they, they are true of God. And I give you thanks for your mercy and your truth. And in the Bible you see that mercy and truth or steadfast love and faithfulness are twins. Let me quickly show you what I mean, particularly in the psalm. Psalm 25 and verse 10, you see that pair. Psalm 25 and verse 10. All the parts of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. For those who keep his covenant and his testimony, that's Psalm chapter 25 and verse 10. All the paths, the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimony. Psalm 57 and verse 3. Psalm 57 and verse 3. Again, you see that pair. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramps on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. His steadfast love 
and his faithfulness. Psalm 85 and verse 10. Again, you see that pair. Psalm 85 and verse 10. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. And then the last one is our very passage we're looking at, Psalm 138. There we see in verse 2, your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Why would the two qualities or two traits or these truths of steadfast love and faithfulness be paired? in the scriptures is to show us that our Lord perfectly balances steadfast love and faithfulness. His steadfast love is poured out in light of his absolute faithfulness. His steadfast love is poured out in light of his absolute faithfulness. And his faithfulness is saturated by infinite steadfast love. And that's what the psalmist is telling us, that his steadfast love or God's mercy is poured out in light of his absolute truth. And his absolute truth is saturated by infinite mercy. And so what the psalmist is really telling us here is that when we are in trouble, when life comes crushing, we must not divorce these two pairs that we see throughout the scriptures, the mercy and the truth of God, the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God. All these function as a pair for the glory of God. And one is not compromised at the expense of the other. No, they are two pairs showing us that when we use our minds to think through what God has said about himself, it must bring us to a point where we begin to worship our God with our minds engaged and not divorced from the worship of God. And when you are in trouble, you can come before God and cry out to him from the depths of your heart. And God is going to respond to your situation according to his divine standard. And that's why the psalmist is able to say there that for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. His name and his word are exalted. 
And the psalmist is saying to us that God's steadfast love and faithfulness expresses his, his unconditional tenderness to his children. He has this covenant relationship with those who seek after him. And his steadfast love and faithfulness are the attribute of God that expresses persistence and unconditional tenderness, a relationship in which God seeks after man. In the garden of Eden, when man sinned against God in Genesis 3, we see it was God who immediately goes out to seek after man. Man was hiding. When man sinned, they immediately went into hiding. But God went out to seek after them. Man was trying to cover his shame and sin. In contrast, God shows his loving kindness by clothing them with animal skin to cover their shame. God's steadfast love and faithfulness expresses both God's, God's commitment to his covenant and God's love for his people. And it comes along with his faithfulness to keep his promises. And the psalmist is saying, when trouble comes, worship God with your mind via historical facts. And those will fuel your worship of him in the present. And for those of us who are Christians, we can walk down memory lane when it, it was a time when we were in rebellion against God. We didn't want to have anything to do with this God. And then he met us and brought us to himself in Christ. He saved us from our sins. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. And if God heard our cries at that moment when we didn't want to have anything to do with him, how much more when we are his because of the righteousness of Christ? To David, when he thought about that, he received an infusion of renewed strength to face the problems of his day, of his time. And we must worship God with our minds. We must not divorce our minds to the worship of God. We must bring those truths of the scriptures and let them have this huge impact upon our lives. He's a God who knows all things. As a hymn we sang, it's a, he's a God who cannot make a mistake. Too wise. 
to explain himself to us. And these are the things that must come, must bear upon our minds when life seems to be crashing into pieces, to be able to say, Lord, I do not understand my present trouble. Death is all over me. There's this pandemic sweeping the world. But Lord, these are the truths that you've said about yourself. And you will exalt your name and your word. And Lord, you do not change. These truths are true about you. And help me to worship you via historical fact. Let me use my mind as I read your word. And engage with the scriptures. Let these truths hit me in my face and bring me to my knees to worship you. We must always remember when trouble comes, sometimes God takes us through it. Sometimes he helps us in it. Sometimes he keeps us from it. He's a faithful God. We must always trust him. This is true biblical Christianity. Not the so-called Christianity, the wishy-washy kind of Christianity that divorces our minds. Not this kind of Christianity that we're basically saying, no, it's not my portion. Then whose portion is it to, to, to go through trials? No, I deny. No positive thinking. No, the scriptures are saying to us, troubles will come. But in the midst of those troubles, engage your mind in the truth of God's word, which does not change because his word is as true as God himself. The scriptures come from a God who does not change and they stand the test of time. And so simply denying that they are not your portion will not help you. But to be able to say, Lord, I do not understand what I'm going through. But one thing I know, your truth stands your steadfast love, your faithfulness still stands. And help me, oh Lord, help me to think, help me to engage my mind, help me, oh Lord, to read the scriptures and the truth of the scriptures that are oozing out of your word. Let them bring me to your knees and let them cause me to say I will worship you even in times of trouble. If you are a Christian, this must be true of you. To worship God with historical facts. You know what is done in your life. How faithful he's been to you. What makes you think he will fail you today? is a God who remains true to himself. But if you're not a Christian this morning, life on earth has its ups and downs. 
trials all over. The only thing certain about life on earth is its uncertainty. But in the midst of this all, God remains the same. And he invites you to turn away from a life of sin and to come to Christ. In Christ we see the wisdom of God. In Christ we see the power of God. In Christ we see a righteous man dying for the unrighteous so that in his death the unrighteous may become the righteousness of God. As we continue to mourn the loss of our loved ones as a church, we must remember that God calls us to trust him. He doesn't call us to try and understand him because we cannot, but he calls us to learn to trust him. We cannot understand how he operates. But he says to us, trust the wisdom that was behind the nailing of his son on the cross. Trust the wisdom that fashioned you. Trust the wisdom that, that fashions everything in this world. And trust the power that sustains this world with all its complications, with all its galaxies and all the planets and everything in its place. The power that sustains all those things, it is a power that is at work in you. Trust that power, trust that wisdom, and in the midst of all that, worship God. When I, received, when I got the news of the passing on of Antibupe, one of the things I asked him myself, his Lord, we prayed. We pleaded that you may spare us sorrow. And as I was in my office thinking, I received a phone call from one of our deacons. And this is what he said to me. That yeah, we prayed and the Lord has answered. It may not be the answer we wanted, but it's not about us, it's about God. And then he said, God doesn't call us to try and understand him. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever and, and our chief end is not to understand God's operation. And his truth sank into my own soul 
and challenged me because all this time I was really trying to understand how God would answer our prayers by taking away one of our loved ones. When a few days earlier in the week we were putting to rest another member of this church. And I want to say, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's not to understand God's operation. We cannot and we will never understand how God operates. But this is what he says. We must trust him. He's working behind the scenes for his glory. And this is the wisdom we must show the world in times of trouble, that we have a God who works all things for the good of those who love him, but also for his glory. And that this God still calls men and women everywhere to turn away from sin and to put their hope and trust in Christ. The hymn writer puts it this way, which the hymn will be singing shortly. Trials dark on every hand and we cannot understand. All the ways that God would lead us to the blessed promised land. And then he says, by and by, when the morning comes, when the saints of God are gathered home, we will tell the story how we overcome. We will understand it better by and by. Now, the hymn writer is very clear in his theology. He doesn't say we will fully understand God. He said, we will understand it better by and by. And as we sing this hymn, all oh, that we may be lost in wonder, in the wisdom of God, that even when we get to glory, we will still not understand God's operation but we'll understand it better by and by. Amen.